Hey, great people. Sure, wasn't worship amazing? Thanks, guys, so much, really. Um, Lord Jesus, increase your presence right now. Thank you for what you've been doing through this Exodus series, and just we're learning so much about you. And we bless the next six hours that we share around your word for those who will stick around that long. But Lord, we do. We bless, we bless this time that we share around your word. I ask that you would open our eyes, open our ears to see and hear things about you, concerning you, that would change the way we relate to you in Jesus' name. Lord, bless every person for taking the step to be here today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. I, if you were a visitor today, you uh, might not have been tracking with us through Exodus, but we are in a series in a journey through the book of Exodus, and it has been amazing. Would you all nod your heads? It's been amazing. And uh, we've, we've had some incredible speakers. We've had the amazing internationally recognized Pastor Carol Gosman. So how many of you enjoyed Pastor Fifi Formson on fine form last week, right? And... Uh, Fifi is back in Stellenbosch, but he's watching with us. We are live streaming our services, and from next week, uh, let your friends know. If we are full to capacity and they can't make one of the, the two, three, four, five services we'll eventually be running, that they can still watch the live stream on YouTube. We'll be doing that. So those of you that were here and uh, part of what Fifi Formson shared last week, he was talking about the plagues and God's mercy revealed through the plagues. So many people think that the plagues were God's judgment, but actually they were God's mercy. Everything God does is out of goodness and mercy. The world sees a judgmental God because I think religion portrays a judgmental God, but Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with the most loving, kind, generous, awesome, good God you could ever wish for. It is not judgment that leads people to repentance. It is the loving kindness of God that leads people to repentance. And so we don't preach judgment. We preach the mercy of God through everything that he was doing. And so we start today in Exodus chapter 12 and chapter 13. And if you haven't been reading with us, please go home and read that. We're not going to have time to go into all of it. In fact, entire seminars have been run on these two scriptures, on these two passages. Entire books have been written on chapter 12 and how it relates to who Jesus is and what he did for us. So in the time that we have, we don't have time to go into all of that. I'm going to encourage you to read that and see Jesus in the whole story. Exodus is, in fact, the story of Jesus. Exodus is, in fact, the story of his church and his people, how he delivers us from bondage and slavery to sin. How he delivers us from the worship of foreign and false gods and idols in our lives. A lot of people think, well, God just threw all these plagues at them, but God was very strategic. Nothing God does is just the obvious. There is always deeper meaning behind what God does. You can read your Bible 300 times and still get deeper meaning out of verses you've read over and over. And so God says in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 12, on this night, talking about the final plague that he's about to bring, I will... Walk through Egypt, pass through the Egyptians, strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I will bring judgment on who? Judgment on the gods of Egypt. Not on the people, on the gods of Egypt. And then he ends with, because I am the Lord. Remember when Moses first came to Pharaoh, he said, who is this God that I should listen to him? We have enough gods and I myself am a God. Pharaoh was worshipped as a deity. And the table looks at the, the multiple deities that the Egyptians worshipped and how every plague came against very specific deities in the Egyptians. Every single plague. 
Pastor Fifi last week mentioned Happy, who wasn't very happy. Happy was the god of the Nile, and the Nile was turned to blood. They had a god who had the head of the frog as the god of fertility. What came out of the Nile? The frogs. They had gods who had the head of a fly. They had a god who was the god of the dust of the earth, and they threw the dust of the earth in the air, and it turned into nests. It was like God was saying, none of your gods can save you. They had a god whose whole job was to prevent locust infestations. Take that, God. (laughs) So by the time we get to the final play, God has shown the Egyptians, all of these gods you worship are powerless and useless. I've judged them all. And the last plague, when he brings death to the firstborn, is coming against their primary god, Osiris, who was supposed to be the giver of life. And the god of Pharaoh, who was worshipped as a deity, he was worshipped as lord in the land. God was saying, I am the lord, I'm going to show Pharaoh that not even he as a deity can stop this death from coming in his own family. And so we pick up the story in chapter 12. And uh, God has now consistently shown the Egyptians that he's God. And he introduces probably the most powerful understanding of the new covenant in chapter 12, the Passover. Now, the most profound event in the old covenant may be the Passover. There are a few others, but it has been celebrated every single year since then. It continues to be one of the most significant celebrations in both Judaism and Christian worldwide. And what we see in this particular passage that we're going to look at today is that it parallels prophetically a type and a shadow of what Christ would come to fulfill and accomplish as the Messiah. Amen. And so we've called today Unstoppable Covenant because although Pharaoh tried everything he could to stop the covenant God made with Abraham and the Israelites, God said, I have seen the covenant, I've remembered the covenant and I will deliver my people. Doesn't matter what you're going through, God has made a covenant with you through Jesus. Everything he does in this covenant and the fulfillment through the Passover is him introducing the new covenant that would come through Jesus that is of far greater measure than what they experienced. And so I am going to look at three primary prophetic processes pertaining to Passover. I want to look at the lamb. If you look through chapters 12 and 13, you will see a number of key elements. I call them elements because you would have seen the various L's of them. The last of the plagues, the lamb of the Passover, the leaven of the Passover, the liberation from Pharaoh. But today I want to focus on the lamb of the Passover. And I want to look at three primary characteristics of the lamb. The blood that was applied, the body of the lamb that had to be consumed and the new covenant revealed through all of it. Are you ready? Lord Jesus, bless this word. Help us to see you in it. So let's get to the background. If you have your Bibles, verse 1, I'm going to jump around a bit, so so just follow with me. Verse 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Now, why is that interesting? Because the month that God said that to them was, in fact, the seventh month of the year. Even today, there are two Jewish calendars. The one that is on the old, which is six months out from the calendar that was instituted at the Passover. And now the significance of what God is about to do, the prophetic meaning behind it, representing the promise he made in Genesis of a Messiah who would come, it was of such significance that God says to him, it is a new start. It is like new birth. Talking about the new birth that happens at the cross of Jesus. Everything God does in the story parallels what Jesus came to do in the new covenant. And so it became the first month of the year, the year of Nisan. It was a dramatic way of God saying, everything's changing. You're about to experience a new beginning, typifying the new beginning that we experience when we come to Jesus. Now let's introduce the lamb. 
Tell the whole community of Israel, verse 3, that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If the household was small, they would share, etc. And the animals that you choose must be a year old males without defect or blemish. Everyone catch that. So on the 10th day, they're going to take a little lamb. How many of you have seen a one-year-old lamb? Okay. They're not bad looking. They're actually quite sweet little things. And they would take this one-year-old little lamb, and it says, bring them into your house. And then, verse 6, take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community must slaughter that lamb at twilight. Everyone. This was not done hidden. It was done publicly. They didn't just, dad didn't just say, I just have to go sacrifice a lamb. Don't let the children see. This lamb was brought into their household for nearly five days. They got it on the morning of the 10th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, slaughtered it on the evening of the 14th, nearly five days. You can imagine how many of you have children? How many of you were children? That was a long time ago, I know, but try and remember, you got this fluffy lamb coming into your house. There are historical documents in Egypt to this day on papyrus that talk about the various names that the lambs were given by the children. And, and fluffy was the primary one. I think Hebrew is gashana or something like that for fluffy. And they, they would bring this lamb in and they built relationship with it. By the time this lamb was sacrificed on the 14th, it had become something precious. They had bonded with it. God did not want this to be just out of the way where no one could see it, where no one could feel the pain. How does this relate to Jesus? Jesus came, lived amongst us, bonded with us, developed a crowd of disciples, people who believed in him, who followed him, who loved him. He poured out his love for years and years and years so that by the time he died, there was a deep mourning, a deep sense of loss, and it was public. It says the entire community had to come and slaughter the lambs. It was public. It was not hidden away. And then the Passover lamb had to be perfect. We all know Jesus, our Passover lamb, was spotless perfectly. So he had no sin, no moral or spiritual imperfection. Hebrews chapter 4.15 says that Jesus, our high priest, was tempted just like we are, yet he was without sin. So, let's look at the first part of the lamb. The blood the blood of the lamb. Everyone say the blood of the lamb. The blood was the only part sacrificed. The rest had to be consumed. So verse 7, they ought to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. How? Verse 22, they give later instructions. With a bunch of hyssop, you dip it into the blood of the basin and you put some of it on the top of the lintel of the doors and the rest on the door frames, the upright door frames. What is that picture that it creates? The lintel overlapped these two, and you were painting a cross on this side and a cross on this side with a bunch of hyssop. Hyssop was always used throughout the Old Testament for purification, application of blood to purify, cleanse from leprosy, purify utensils. And when Jesus was on the cross and he said, I thirst, they took a sponge and put it on a bunch of hyssop to give to him. But it was the blood that they had to apply. Friends, the Bible says that the life of a creature, the life of an animal, the life of a person is in the blood. So this innocent lamb gave its innocent blood, representing its innocent life given to redeem those who were not innocent. Amen. The blood. The Bible says, and Hebrews 9.22 reinforces it, where it says, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Do you think that the Israelites would have been delivered from death if they had just said, well, I believe in God? And I'm a, a son of Abraham, so I don't need the blood. What would have happened? Yes, good answer. <laughs> they would have had death 
the destroyer would have come into their homes. No one is good enough. doesn't matter where your family is and what your church is if you have not embraced the blood. The blood. In verse 13, it says, The blood will be a sign for you on your houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where we get the word Passover from. Verse 23, again, he says, When he sees the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe, I will pass over that doorway. I will not permit the destroyer to enter your house. No matter how good they were, no matter how much they prayed and fasted, that was not good enough. No matter how good you try to be, without the blood of Jesus, without embracing the work He did, we can never be good enough. The Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But the free gift of life is through Jesus Christ and His work of the cross. Amen? The blood of Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb, is the only thing that spares us from death. Ephesians 1, 7, in Him alone we have redemption. In Him alone, through His blood, we have forgiveness of sins. Amen? This word, uh, Passover, by the way, is an interesting word. It is the word Pesach. Any of you heard that word, Pesach? And the word Pesach means to defend, to protect, to cover. It wasn't like God just said, there's the blood, I'll pass over. God was doing something else. It literally, historians tell us, it comes from an ancient Egyptian word that means to spread wings over. He is my refuge and fortress. Like Psalm 91, He will cover me with His feathers. Under His wings I find refuge. I am covered, I'm protected, I'm defended. Isn't that great? Such a great picture through the blood. Now, after we embrace the blood and understand the blood, we must understand that the whole lamb had to be consumed. The blood was sacrificed, the body was consumed. So, verse 8. That same night they must eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without leaven or yeast. Now, I don't have time to go into the revelation of leaven or yeast, but I've given you a reference, if you find the scripture there, of 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul says this, listen to this, Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump, so cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump? He's talking to the New Testament believers, referring to Passover. And he says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us come out of the old leaven of malice and evil and walk in the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Jesus not only by His blood forgives our sins, redeems you from death, delivers you from oppression, but He covers us and protects us. He becomes our refuge and our fortress. But then He also says, I now give you the power. For seven days after that, they would live and eat without any leaven. He said, I now give you the power to walk sin free. Yeah. Isn't that powerful? He doesn't just say, all right, stop sinning. He gives you the power by His blood and Him living inside of you to live sin free. And then He says, so once we've done this, do not eat the meat, verse 9, raw or boiled, but it must be roasted in fire. Before Jesus went to the cross, He said, I have a baptism of fire to undergo. The head, the legs, the internal organs, do not leave any of it till morning. It must all be consumed, every bit of it. Out of His great love for us, Jesus held nothing back. There was no partial sacrifice. It wasn't like God said, well, I'll send a little bit and see how, if it works. And God gave everything. There is no plan B. Jesus sacrificed everything for us. So many Christians approach Jesus kind of like, well, um, Dad, I just like the leg. Can I have the leg? Well, son, you're going to have to have some tripe as well. I don't like tripe. We've got to consume the whole lamb. And so many Christians see Christianity and Jesus as like this buffet. 
hmm, yes, I think I'll take a little bit of health and wealth, yeah, yeah. You know, I think I'll take the salvation and the success, but I, I don't want the suffering, I don't want the sacrifice. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus gave everything. The Bible makes it clear, if we want all of Him, we've got to give Him all of us. Paul clarifies the goal of the Christian walk. In Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. He was the Lamb. He gave Himself for me. My response is to say, I choose to die with you, Jesus. My response is to say, I don't want to live for myself. I don't want to just add Jesus to my life. Do you know that that's what a lot of Christians do? Is all we do well. You know, religion's a good thing to add to your life. Why don't you go to church and just add Jesus to your life? It's a good addition. My friends, here's the message of the gospel. Jesus, Luke 9, 23, if you want to look there. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must take up his cross, die to himself, and follow me forever wants to save his life or lose it. Whoever loses his life for me will save it. You see, friends, here's the thing. He created you. How many of you have crashed this spaceship a few times? Because we don't know how it works. It is complex. Jesus made it. He knows how it works. So when Jesus is Lord over every area of your life, you are living the best possible life you can live. It's not bondage. It's not rules and regulations. So if you want to live the best life you possibly can, He must be president, not just resident. And how did they respond to this? Well, there are two righteous responses. 27, then the people bowed down and worshipped. Friends, did they only worship when they'd been delivered and they were in the promised land? No, they were still in bondage. They had not been delivered, but they chose to worship. They didn't worship God just because everything was good now. They worshiped God because of His faithfulness to make things good. We don't worship God only when things are going well. We worship God knowing Romans 8, 28. Lord, you work all things together for the good. And right now there's some things that don't feel that good, but you are working them together for the good. So I worship you. But worship would not have been enough if they had worshiped God with all their hearts, but not applied the blood and not obeyed. They would not have been delivered. Worship without obedience is insufficient. Even Samuel says that to obey is better than sacrifice. Verse 28, then the people went and obeyed and did everything the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. As great as God's deliverance was, they would never have received it if they didn't obey. Many Christians believe, oh, I believe in God. Yes, He's convinced me He's more powerful than all the other gods, but, you know, I, I don't want to sacrifice a lamb. I'm just going to rather pray. And We do what Jesus tells us to do. We live the best life He created us for. And there's so many Christians who believe and call Him Lord. But obedience is our sign of Lordship. And I don't just obey because He's Lord. I obey because He's a good Lord and He made me and He knows what's for my best. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only who does the will of my Father in heaven. Amen. Obedience is the logical response to the revelation of His goodness and that He calls me to do only what is for my good. And He doesn't just show me what to do. He gives me the power to do it. He doesn't just say, go and sin no more. But when he says that, he says, my power will be with you to enable you to do that. The grace of God has appeared to all men to enable you, to empower you, to say no to unrighteousness, ungodliness, and to live an upright, godly life in this present age. And then lastly, through all of this, it introduces the unstoppable new covenant. Take a look in Luke 22. 
This is the final Passover that Jesus celebrates. It is the last Passover that Jesus and his disciples celebrate because he initiates something new. Then came the day of unleavened bread, which was what they called the Passover, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus, the Passover lamb, was sacrificed on the cross at the same time as the Passover lamb was being sacrificed at the temple. Jesus and Peter went and he said, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. This was the unleavened bread and he said, this bread before has represented the Passover, the lamb, the body that was broken before. But I say to you now, this bread now represents my body that is broken for you. Here is the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he said, likewise, when he took the cup, there were three cups celebrated at Pesach. This was the cup of redemption. He took the cup of redemption at the end and he said, this cup of redemption is now my blood that's going to redeem you. No longer will you just look back to a Passover lamb that redeemed you by its blood. I give you my body in place of that lamb. I give you my blood in place of that lamb. And you will never have to slaughter another animal as long as the earth endures. And every time we celebrate communion, we remember what Jesus did. Ed Stetzer wraps up his little writing on this and he says, Through Jesus, God brings us out of oppression, delivers us from slavery to sin, redeems us with his great power, and takes us to be his. So we move from slavery to freedom, from darkness to light, from death to life, from brokenness to wholeness. Amen. Won't you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the ultimate sacrifice and who gave everything for us. And if you're here today and you have not embraced the work of Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Maybe you've believed. Maybe you've even called him Lord. But you've never said, I want you to be president of every area of my life. You've never given him everything. But today the Holy Spirit is impressing upon you. You need to give your life to Him 100%. And declare today, Lord Jesus, I'm not going to do things my way anymore. And Lord Jesus, I ask by the power of your Spirit that you would move through this place right now. And if you're here today and you know you need to get right with God, I want to ask you, won't you just raise your hand, just lift it up high so I can see it. I want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else here today? I'm going to ask you to just keep your hands raised as I pray for you and our ministry team, one of them will come and pray behind you. Just keep your hands raised, those of you that raise your hands, just raise both of them. Lord Jesus, I pray for these right now. And why don't you just say this with me? Lord Jesus, you gave your all for me. Today I give my all for you. You laid down your life for me. Today I lay down my life for you. I ask you, Jesus, by your blood and the work on the cross, that you forgive me, you set me free from sin, and fill me now by the power of your Holy Spirit to think like you, to live like you, to love like you. In Jesus' name. And secondly, I want to just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any areas in your life that are not under lordship, where He's not president, where you're still living it your way. 
And just today, I'm not going to make another altar call. I just want you to see yourself right there and just choosing to let go of those things and give them to Jesus. Maybe it's finances. So many people, well, I'll keep my spiritual side, but the way I run my finances, my business, whatever. My sexuality, my own personal pleasures. We bring all of that before you, Lord. When my finances are under lordship, then I tithe and give because he's president of my finances, not out of duty. But knowing that as I obey him, I live my best life. Any area of your life right now, just declare this with me. Lord Jesus, we want to declare like Paul, it is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Now just let His Holy Spirit minister you today. Just thank Him for His sacrifice. Thank Him that you are in the blood, that you are covered, protected. He covers you with His wings right now. Thank you, Jesus. Fill us up, Lord, that we go out of this place so much fuller of you. Release, Holy Spirit, an increase of your presence, your anointing. Rain down in this place right now.